Hey, what's going on? Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Before we get into this episode, I need to play the ad real quick and let you guys check out this brand list. And hopefully you guys could end up using my code and you could get you some free gear or whatever it is that you want for your house and household and things like that. So take a moment and listen to this ad. and We'll just hop right into the show. What's up, everyone? It's your girl, Ashley, and today I have the privilege to sit down with an amazing Wonder Woman. I like to call them the Black Wonder Woman, and you all may see her products in Target and now in Walmart. So I'd like all my listeners to welcome the CEO of the Honey Pot, Miss B. How you doing, girl? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty so much for taking this interview. No, no problem. <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> pretty damn busy, but it's fine. I, I like I like doing things like this. Oh, good. I like to interview people, especially, uh, like I said, Black Wonder Women, doing something that all of us needs, uh, all of us younger women should look up to and do yeah. something about it. So I want to jump right into it. Because I already know, I already know about your products. Like my sister and I, uh, we buy all of your products. Thank you. Big, big, big fans. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so I mean, since I know a lot about it, um, can you tell my listeners about yourself and your business? Yeah, as it relates to myself, what would you like to know? Everything. How did you get started? <laughs> what, what brought you? What brought you? Into Everything. Oh, um, <laughs> that's funny. So I I got started um, back in 2012. I suffered with an almost long, an almost year long bacterial vaginosis infection. And, you know, literally there wasn't, you know, everything that I tried, nothing worked. I was doing natural things. I was taking medicine, you know, you name it, I was doing it. And, um, you know, to make a long story short, basically one night I went to sleep and had a dream with one of my ancestors. And she basically gave me a, a formula, like a recipe to a formula and told me that if I tried, you know, this formula that it would go away because a lot of the things that were inside of the formula, I was already doing kind of individually. Um, and so she was saying to me, if, if I put everything together, it'll be like medicine and they'll work really well together. So I woke up, I remembered it. Um, she told me that I would, <laughs> I wrote it down. And, you know, basically I tried it. And, you know, if it was a Monday when I started the product, when I like started using it by Friday, it was gone. And so, you know, it was just a really remarkable experience. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the ancestors that are connected to me that way to be able to help me out and almost gift me my dreams, you know, um, and, and, and gift me my life's work. So that's that's kind of what got me to where we are right now. Well, that's good. Yeah, um, I also I also have a similar dream about I, I don't know if it was ancestors, but it was something and someone was talking to me in my dreams too. Um, it was like, it was two different paths that I saw. One path, it was like really foggy and like red. And then the mm-hmm. other path was clear. And it was like my like my media family, like my sisters, my mom, and my sister's kids, so my niece and nephew and her husband. And we were walking in the red path, but it was wrong. So that we mm-hmm. kept ending up going in a circle and, and came to the beginning all over again. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up on the clearer path and that path was so clear. My nephew was telling me, um, just keep going this way, Titi Alley. Like, we'll keep going yeah. this way. We were, yeah, we were walking and then we were all basically talking that time. And I was looking down on the ground as we're walking and it was like, um, 
ancient goddess stuff kept popping up on the ground. I kept yeah. seeing it. Like one, one was like a, a candle was lit, and it was just really weird. So, but but at the end, we were able to get through the forest or wherever we were at. It was clear. We went through, and we just went our separate ways. But everybody was good. It was yeah. so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's trying to tell me. Um, one person told me that maybe it's telling me that we're all on the right path. Follow my dreams. Yeah, and, you know, keep moving. But yeah, dreams do like they have a, a big, big impact. Um, we, we just have to pay attention. Yeah, that, we yeah we do. Dreams. We do. Yeah. We definitely have to pay attention. <laughs> you know, sometimes you know, sometimes a dream could be based off of something you saw on TV or something right before you went to bed, right? Or sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes, especially if you, you know, you really didn't do anything to affect the dream that you're having, um, you know, a lot of times your subconscious is just trying to tell you something. So, you know, it may not always be literal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in my case, it was, but, and it may be even in your case, it was, um, yeah. you know, but yeah. Yeah. So how did you come up with the name Honeypot or the Honeypot? <sighs> I was driving down the street in Atlanta and I literally stopped at a light and you know how people put band posters on light poles uh-huh <laughs> the name of the band was the honeypot band <laughs> and, and I was like holy shit I'm gonna call my product honeypot you know so it wasn't anything <laughs> quite as uh literal you know it, it wasn't anything quite as literary I should say as uh as the way that I came up with the formula but you know but yeah it, it was that's how Okay, I always thought because you know, like some some old school slang, the honey pot. Don't yeah, honey pot girl. You know. So. Yeah, I mean, it it may it may it all went together, uh-huh. right? But yeah. um, you know, but but it but it it just seemed perfect, you know, the way that it came about, and I was like, wow, because I was really like desperately trying to figure out the name, you know. Yeah. Um, that's the hardest part of starting a business is finding the right name. And I rolled up on that band poster and I was like, I'm going to call it Honeypot. Well, that's good. That that name fits perfect. Like, it's cute. Yeah, it does. It's, yeah. it's cute and it gives some type of, like, a meaning, like a band, uh, what is it, a band poster, you said? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, you know, the Monopolized by Brands, like, Always and Summer's Eve, like what gave you the courage to start your business in the feminine care industry honestly i i wasn't in the beginning i mean i guess i always knew that it would be something i never knew that it would be like when i started raising money and when we got into target like i knew that we were going to be able to take it to to the next levels right Mm -hmm. but before that you know i just wanted to make a product that worked for women it wasn't really you know, it, it didn't start off as me wanting to really take this global and wanting to sell it and make it into this ginormous country at the earth, earth country to this ginormous country, make it into this ginormous business. It was more so, you know, I just wanted to be able to give back to women what was given to me um, and what worked so well for me. You know, in the beginning, that's what it was about. Um, you know, but I've been in this industry for quite a while. I used to be a, I used to, work as a pharmacy technician that's kind of how I started my career for the first you know right after I got out of high school um you know I did that for almost 10 years and then I got tired of being around sick people so I started working for Whole Foods Market um you know in the whole body department which is kind of like their natural version of a pharmacy Uh um so it wasn't really that um it wasn't really that much of a difference 
except I wasn't pushing like medicine. I was pushing, you know, supplements and herbs and things like that. And then I left from there and I went to be a a natural food broker, which means that when I worked for Whole Foods, you were my customer, right? The person that comes into the store and buys things. Um, But when I went to be a food broker, Whole Foods became my customer. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and then and then I left there to be like an, an area sales manager for a kale chip company. So as I started to kind of grow within the ranks of of my career, um, you know, all the while I'm still doing honeypot. I'm basically like working two jobs, right? Because I had to run honeypot, but I couldn't do it solely because I had to, you know, I had to eat <laughs> and feed my family. Um, and so, you know, so I so I still worked. Um you know, but, you know, honestly, um, you know, it's, it, it was a, it was, it was hard to do, uh, but, you know, but I feel like um, I wouldn't change anything for the world. And it really taught me a lot about my business model and what was the direction that I was going to, because a lot of the brands, you know, I rep- I've represented hundreds of brands over the years. So I've been fortunate because most founders that are in my position haven't necessarily worked professionally within their industry, right? They may have, you know, so I I was really fortunate, which I think was ancestral too, um, because I was really fortunate to see both sides of the business from from the consumer's point of view, and then from the retailer's point of view, and then from the startup's point of view, Um, you know? So, you know, once I started to really grow and start to work for brands, that's when I was like, oh shit, you know, I think Honey Pot could be, you know, uh, the natural version of a mashup of Summer's Eve and Always and Potex and Hampax, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's when I really started to, you know, and then when we got into Target, we had to raise money. And when you're raising money, you got to have a North Star, right? You can't just tell your investor, I need your money so that I can go and expand in Target. It's like, no, I need your money so that I can get into Target, so that I can get into Walmart, so that I can, you know, grow my business online, get a brand, make it beautiful, um, you know, grow it to a hundred million in sales or 200 million in sales so that I can then sell it, right? Because an investor wants to know how they're going to get their money back. And so that's, um, that, that was kind of the, um, kind of the roadmap to how we got to where we are with with expanding, you know, because the way that the business is going, um, when you look at consumer packaged goods in general, most brands that are really scaling are natural, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when you you said that, um, like you had to raise money to get your product in Target, how long did that take? So like, <laughs> how long does that process actually take? Because you, you see a lot of things that just like pop up in Target and you're just, and they don't even sell, but they're still there. Like, do you have to right. pay a stocking fee monthly or like no. or yearly? How does that work? No. Well, some retailers, the way that it works out is they want you, um, in order for you, think of, think of a shelf in a store as real estate, right? So, you know, the, the giants of our, of our industry, we may as well just keep it to, to feminine care. The giants of our industry are the conventional products, right? 
Summer's Eve of, Pre of prestige brands, right? That's the company that owns Summer's Eve. Um, you know, then you have like the huge companies that are owned by Kimberly Clark or Procter and Gamble or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So these companies, they, they, their movement is so crazy. Um, you know, that a company like mine, I'm only, I'm only really going to take a fraction of their business, right? Because the average customer isn't going to, if they had to choose, you know, depending on what their pocket size look like looks like or what their bank account looks like or what their lifestyle is you know traditionally they're probably going to go for the conventional version because they have to think about money and things like that right, right. now for a brand like mine um we are a premium product but we're still priced under ten dollars so that conventional customer can absolutely still transition over to a product like mine right Mm -hmm. But what but what happens is when you go into a store, um, you know, depending on the size of your company, you typically have to pay what's called a slotting fee. Um, sometimes the slotting fee will come in the in the in the form of a like of money, of physical money. Sometimes the slotting fee will come in the form of product, right? So. Um, it wasn't necessarily the case for me, but if but if we're just looking at how things are traditionally done, um, you know, a slotting fee could be anywhere from we want a case for each store. And let's say that you got all the stores of Target, right? That's 1,800 doors. So imagine how much it would cost to produce one case, which is 12 units, right? Or let's say they only want half a case, or they only want three units, but even still, if they were gonna put three units on the shelf across 1,800 doors, think about how much money that costs, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's it just depends. Um, typically, but in drug, they might want cash, right? They may say your slotting fee is 100,000, right? And you just gotta pay that shit because it's because their their shelf is real estate, um, you know. You can't be on their shelf unless you deserve to be on their shelf. And if you deserve to be on their shelf, you got to pay. It's, you know, the, the term in our business is called pay to play. So it just depends on the retailer. You know, if it's like a natural retailer like Whole Foods and your product, is, let's say your product is over a certain amount of money. Like if your product's over $10, um, then they want, then they only want three pieces. But if your product is less than $10, they might want six pieces. Right. And if you got all the doors of Whole Foods, that's like almost 500 doors. So you got to put six pieces on the shelf in 500 stores without charging the store. So it, it just depends on the scenarios. But yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's insane. You know, but it, but it's just the it's just the way that it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just the, it's just the industry is the way that it is. You're just not going to get around that shit, you know? So, you know, that's a part of why companies like mine have to raise the capital that we do, um, you know, because because we, ha we, have to, we have to be able to pay to play. You just have to. You have to be able to promote. You have to be able to, uh, you know, and promoting is just the, the programs that they have within the store, you know? Yeah. Do you um, so. do you feel that um, if you were to only um, have your business online, other than in stores, maybe you eliminate that whole 
um, like that pay for play, and you'll be better off just with on your online. Well, there's still a there's still a huge pay for play online too, right? So you think about the giants that are that are directed consumer products, right? Mm-hmm. You've had you had because even still, I'm still investing heavily in digital, you know. But you have companies, you know, like think about Dollar Shave Club or Lola. Um, you know, they're directed. They started out well. Lola is a directed consumer brand, but Dollar Shave Club, I think that they put some products in the store, but they started out as a directed consumer brand. Their pay-to-play is in the is in the version of ads, right? So you want a million people to come to your website, you've got to buy a million fucking eyeballs. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's it, it it there's no getting around spending money, right? And buying millions of eyeballs could be shit, could be three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a month, Ooh. right? <laughs> and so you know that's buying millions of eyeballs, right? So it's like, you know, and that's digital ad spend on, on social, that's paid search, which is like Google and YouTube and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's like, there's no way around spending money. You know, the thing, the thing with retail is you may spend some money on the front end, um, but it's not necessarily quite um, as heavy financially I mean, you, you're gonna, you're not gonna make as much margin as you would in the store, but what you get the benefit of in retail is volume, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you know, just to give you an example, let's say you get all ten thousand doors of CVS. Your first, your first order for them to 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 put their stuff on the shelf could be a million dollars. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, and and. And even if you only sold one or two units per store per week in that door, I mean, you could be bringing in three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a month. And, you know, so there, there's a case to be making to excuse me, there's a, a case to be made for going direct to consumer. And there's a but there's also a case to be made for going into volume retail. It's hard. It's strenuous. It's costly. You don't make as much money as you do when you go direct to your consumer, but whether you, whether you whether you're whether you're um, marketing through through retail promotions or you're marketing through digital, you're still spending money. If 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 you're if you're really serious about your business and you want it to scale, right. there's no way around that. Well. <laughs> We, now we know that we got to spend lots of money to get yourself out there and shit. So yeah, you do. You do. Or just stop. <laughs> well, not not necessarily, right? Like like yeah. if you're if you're just starting, and you know, and and you're building your audiences and you're growing your brand. I'm saying when you're at scale level, right? Mm-hmm. There's levels to there's levels to business, right? Yeah. Um, you know, initially you just got to get something out there. You got to make sure it works. If it's food, you got to make sure the shit tastes good. If it's skincare, you got to make sure that it works on the skin, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if it's a candle, you got to make sure that that shit smells like heaven, right? <laughs> so, but but that takes time, right? Mm-hmm. Then you got to then you got to have a rapport with your customer. Then you have to build that relationship, right? And 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 you have to start making money. Once you start making money, you know, you're making thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a month with just what you can do for yourself. 
then you might want to start thinking about, you know, but if you haven't gotten there yet, you're not there yet. And that's okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so with that being said, so like what challenges um, have you faced while starting your business? (laughs) Uh, There's challenges every day, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning, you're just trying to see what works. Right. And, and, and you're praying to God that people will, um, will receive you and, and, and that your product will work in the marketplace. Once you know what your product is and it works in the marketplace. Now, if you have a brand, having a brand means that you have more than one product. Otherwise you're just, you're just selling stuff. Right. Um, so then once you know that it works and it's, and it's scaling and, and it's growing and every month you're seeing better numbers every year, you're seeing year over year growth. Now you're like, okay, what do I need to do to stay in business, <laughs> right? So yeah. now it's like, now you have to innovate, um, you know, but I mean, problems can come financially um, because in this type of business, all you ever need is money. Um, problems can come from you not knowing what you're doing, right? Because I don't care what founder you talk to, if they're honest, then they know that they don't know shit, right? Um, you know, so you have to you have to hire the right human capital too. Everything isn't money. You have to be able to have the right humans that that um, that that understand whatever the thing is. So you have to invest in them, right? So if you're at the place that I'm at, I can't afford to hire my my cousin who knew somebody that that worked for such and such. Like I have to go to a person that's got like ten years experience. They know EDI, they know how to run NetSuite. You know what I mean? Like they know how to like run shit. They know Salesforce. They know, um, you know, they've worked with other brands. They've done this many, many times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when you're younger as a, as a brand, um, you know, you, you can afford to hire your cousin who, who can come and box some shit up and, and pour some bottles, right? But as you grow, you just can't afford that. You, you know, like there's people more money than I do you know why because because they bring value you understand what I'm saying yeah so you know so there, there's challenges in that there's challenges in being a founder and not having any fucking time right <laughs> um all I do is travel now you know what I mean and things come up on my schedule every day um you know my one of my things is I want to make sure that my team has all that they need and then I kind of think about myself last but as a CEO that is my responsibility is making sure that they have what they need so that they can do their job right, right. Um, so am I giving them the right tools are they trained well enough um, everybody's doing the job of three people I have to respect them um, you know so it's it's just constant constant issues constant moments of how do I do this I don't know how to do it constant moments of just having to figure that shit out because you can't bring somebody in because you can't pay somebody another you know you can't bring another six-figure salary on right now so y'all got to figure out as a team how to figure it out you know um so it they they come in all kinds of ways you know keeping your team motivated keeping them feeling good you know i mean it i could go on on and on for, for <laughs> days for that but you know but we're fortunate we're growing we're scaling what we have works um you know so yeah all that that you said actually makes a a great business those type of challenges struggles anything Mm -hmm. makes a great business an outcome so i'm just know that 
all everything that you're doing is you're doing it really really good because oh thank you because um, i right now because i noticed that you because you know i got i get emails from you also i'm part of your subscribe <laughs> so thank you just you. launched a soothing body bomb um, for menstrual cramps but what made you only want to create about um to sell you only 250 bottles like what was the purpose of that uh honestly i had to test it right okay. it, it, it's not a it's a it, it's an expensive product for our for our customer but it's a very expensive product for us to make right okay. um because buying the uh cannabinoid oil or or uh distillate is expensive you know um and and you can only buy it at a certain at a certain weight and you know you, you, you there's just no way around that shit, right so um, so I wanted, I didn't want to go crazy and invest too heavily in it and get thousands of bottles made and do the things that I would normally do when I'm innovating into a new product because that's just what you have to do. Um, so I found somebody, I found a company that was small that could do really short orders for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so the good thing is that we can be nimble with it because we can go, I'm, I'm literally having more made right now. Um, you know, but also... It is a very, very, very high-end product, and so, you know, I want, I want to make, sh- I want to make it. I want it to be fresh when it's made. Um, you know, at some point, I'm going to take this to a much larger manufacturer, as, um, you know, as we, as we scale in and grow it. Um, you know, but for right now, I'm, I'm keeping the runs small, um, so that I can just continue to watch it and figure out the right price and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I hope I hope you get the best um, some good reviews on it, um, so that it could be in Target. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something close. Um, also, I had a question. So, the Targets that are out here in Sacramento, the ones that I've been to, I don't see the I don't see the tampons being sold in stores. I just only we only get the feminine wash and the wipes. Do you know? Um, is that part of that whole process of pay for play by ha- not having those products in stores yet, only online? Well, no, retailers don't work like that. Oh, okay. Um, you, you can't you can't just tell a retailer you want to put something in their store. You have to present it, and then they have to approve it, right? Okay. Um, so it's not a thing of like, which you know, which isn't from where you sit. It's not the easiest thing to understand because we get that question all the time. But, you know, literally you're at the mercy of the retailer, right? So you go in and, you know, you have to set up an appointment and a lot of times you have to have a broker um, that already has a relationship with that retailer, right? And then, and then you go in and you pitch and you do the thing that you would do when you're selling anything in. And then when you're, but when you're, when you're first going into a retailer, they typically want to go with the products that have the most scale in other places, right? So it doesn't make sense for them and they want to see kind of historical data, right? So it doesn't make sense for a retailer to bring in one of your new items if you don't have a lot of historical data because you haven't really gotten it into any larger retailers yet. It makes sense for them to say, give me the products that you are already producing in retail 
um, that that does have strong historical data. Because if it'll work at Target, it'll probably work here, right? right? And so, you know, so where we'll probably see scale with our with our tampons um, and even with our pads outside of Target is um, is probably in 2020 because every all the all the big retailers really only meet like with their true meeting only once one time a year, right? So mm-hmm. we'll be presenting that in this summer for 2020 um you know but again it's it's it isn't because we we didn't want them to be there we wanted them to be there but the retailers the the buyers just didn't make that that choice um you know and it makes sense because the historical data is on our washes and wipes okay yeah Mm -hmm. those are always gone when i (laughs) when i go there yeah (laughs) Yeah. so you try to tend to stack up on it or stock up on it like multiple times every time I go in I like constantly will buy more than what I usually need so that I don't right. have to be like when are you getting it or oh yeah and, and and even with that right like even with that the the retailers only order a certain amount for their shelf and once those are sold out they're not going to order again until the next time right so because normally they only order like once a week you understand what I'm saying so like, it's not that we're not supplying them with what they need. It's that we're supplying them with what they need, but the door, but people just come in and and buy, you know. So, so what so what type of advice can you give someone who wants to start a business? It doesn't have to be the feminine um, care industry. Just any business. What's some straightforward, Miss B solid ass advice? <laughs> um, I would say. Whatever you're doing, especially if you're going into the product industry, because that's really where I have experience, make sure that your product is good and that it works. You know, um, don't, don't, and also don't think just because you start a, a business that you need to raise money. It's, it's crazy how people will be like, oh, I just started this business. I need to go out and raise some capital. Um, no, don't, don't raise any money until you know that you know that it works and until you have a really good problem that's going to make you more money. Because if not, you're asking somebody to take their money that they worked really hard for to test the concept. Um, and unless you're in technology where, where the valuations are crazy, right? Um, or you're making a product that requires prototyping and things of that nature, but you know, but you but but you've already started the prototyping and you've already you know, you, you basically want to have some of your own skin in the game, a lot of your skin in the game, you know? Um, so don't, don't ask people for money until you've put enough skin in the game. You know that it's going to work. If you're going into the product industry, don't ask for money unless your product's already doing crazy, not crazy numbers, but if your product line, you, you've built a website and you've done all the things and you've got social media and you're doing all that stuff and your product is bringing you in thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a month and you want to you want to go out and find some money so that you can take that fifty thousand a month and turn it into one hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand. That's a reason to raise money. Right. Um, if you're going into a store, uh, you got not not your not your little local market, but you but you got a door right like you've got a door that that has thousands of doors you may only get 200 of those doors 
right? But you got a door that has substantial amounts of doors. That's a reason to raise money. Um, but you don't raise money just to start something and just see how it's going to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, be, be conscientious and respectful of, uh, of other people's capital because if you're successful and you get to where you want to be, somebody's going to be asking you for your money one day. And you, you know, think about other people's money the way that you would for yourself. And then the last thing I would say is um, hire people uh, and, and don't ask them to do shit for you for free. Right. Because yeah. people can't pay their bills on free. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's true. On, 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 on bartering and shit. Like yeah. people, people can't pay bills on barters. Um, and if And if you show depending on whatever your belief systems are. But if you show yourself, your universe, your business, um, and if you show it some respect, um, you know, if, if you're willing to pay people, you're, sh- you're, you're showing yourself that you can do that, even if you can't pay yourself first. And it, it's, re- it's a remarkable thing that happens because when you start, when you start bringing, even if all you could pay them was $10 an hour, doesn't matter, right? But you start start to show yourself that you can take on the responsibility of paying somebody. And now that you're paying somebody, now you're driven because I'm paying you, I'm not even paying myself. I got to figure out how to pay you and pay me or pay you and somebody else and then me, you know? Um, So it it really helps you to... I think think when you you hire people, if your business is at that place, um, it helps you to be able to grow it, you know. Plus, you respect people's time. So. Yeah, I I agree, and it, it, it actually, I mean, I don't have I, I consider my um, my podcast my business, but mm-hmm. um, it feels good to like I like doing this interview with you. It feels good that I'm able to put your product on my podcast and letting people know to go out there and you know pick this shit up it could help right this, right it feels it's just, this is my way of giving back i'm not paying yes. you for this interview but this is my way of helping you and being able to put your stuff out there because i know from experience of me using it that this shit worked and right. i feel like this needs to be said in many people and that are in sacramento because it's sacramento's big but it's actually a little small in my community that mm-hmm. when they hear this they're going to be like oh I saw that shit in Target and they're going to pick yeah. that shit up and they're going to be like, well, yeah, I heard it from this. So this word of mouth is my way of paying the people that, that I interview is, on yeah. the podcast. So yeah, yeah, but but that is, but that is um, you know, I, time, time isn't money. Time is much more valuable than money because money right. is, a, is a made up thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, shit, time is even a made up thing if we want to be, if we want to be, be um, real about it. But, uh, but, when we look at it that's really the only currency that we really have right, right. and so um and you know, that's just free <laughs> yeah 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 it, it, it's free <laughs> but you know it, it's free in instances like this right um but the fact that my that my time means more to me than a lot of things especially because I don't have a lot of time these days so mm-hmm. my time is very valuable to me um I don't like the term time is money because I, I think that it's so much more valuable than money. Um, you know, but us spending our time, being that I respect your time and you respect my time, that is a form of a payment, you know? Right. So, 
Well, I would like to thank you so much, Miss B, for coming on my um, my podcast and sharing your story with all my listeners. And I also, because I hope that someone, like I said, I hope someone will listen to this interview and they'll get some type of motivation that they'll be able to follow his or her dreams. Because I know when I first heard about you, um, I was like, oh, I need to see more of this honey pot. Like I was seeing it all over social media. Then it was finally, it was in Target. And I was able to like go there and get it myself and pick it up and use it. And ever since then, plus I dedicated myself to only, now I don't want to be too biased, but to only spend my money on black products, black no, owned products. <laughs> so yeah. everything that I use has to be black owned. Um, so also, that, that, that right there, you you are motivating many women out there. You've motivated me to keep doing what I want to do. And I appreciate you for doing what you're doing, helping, especially the women that are struggling with BB. Because, um, you know, going to the doctors, they brush off. And especially African-American women, they brush us off regardless of what we got going on. So knowing that what you have, your product could help that. And also it brings women to have more confidence in themselves. A lot of people are very um, insecure when they have an issue down there and they just tend to not know what to do. But knowing yes. that, you know, hearing your story and using your product could help someone in, in such a, a quick term. And for someone who's been having something for a long time, that that's like a gift. And uh, out of, from all the women around, from me to you, I, we appreciate you for that. Um, yeah, thank you. So like usually at the end, you're welcome. At the, usually at the end of my shows, I give a quote because it kind of a quote. It will reflect on the situation of the interview, or it has something to do with the person. But so this quote I have for you, it says, "To never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness greatness lives within each of us." And that's by Wilma Rudolph. So. I hope you said why uh, no I said no I said wow that's dope. Oh. <laughs> thank you um, so I also again I would like to thank you so much for coming on my podcast this is correct me if I'm wrong and this is your girl Ashley and we are out thank you Miss B thank you I appreciate your time you're welcome bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.